Well, thanks so much for joining us on our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see that God is moving in your life. Thanks so much for joining us again, and God bless. If you brought a Bible this morning, go ahead and open up to John chapter 11. If you need a Bible, we've got some Bibles on the back table. Um, Or if you're comfortable, we've also got it on the screen. Um, But John chapter 11, um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16 this morning. We're not going to go through the whole uh, chapter uh, because obviously Christmas is right around the corner and um, really want to take some time to unpack the Christmas story in the Sundays to come. Uh, But if you would, once you're at John chapter 11, go ahead and stand to your feet and we'll read uh, together. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, uh, I'm reading out of the ESV translation. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this account. This is not a make-believe story. This actually happened, Lord. God, your ways are so much different than ours. And and when we look at this passage, we can't help but think, how does this make sense? God, we know that, again, your ways are not our ways. Your ways are better than our ways. So God, as we spend time in your word this morning, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts. Help us to hear from you. God, whatever we're struggling with this morning, whatever temptations we're facing this morning, whatever trials we might be in this morning, Lord, I pray that you would just remind us of your presence through whatever we're going through. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
You all can take a seat. If you would, repeat after me, God is good. Jesus is real. His word is alive. I am his. And I got it right this Sunday. Last Sunday, I totally butchered it, but I, we got it. You ever have those moments where you ask the question, how does this make sense? Like, how does this make sense? For me, uh, it usually comes with assembling things, especially from Ikea. The directions tell me to put the screw there when the hole looks like it's big enough for a toothpick to fit through. How does that make sense? Uh, maybe you ask the question when it comes to cooking. Well, how does that make sense? Or when it comes to parenting a preteen, <laughs> how does that make sense? Or when it comes to finances, how does that make sense? Or when it comes to finding an empty box of cereal in the cupboard, how does that make sense? But maybe you ask it in more serious matters, such as a loved one dying. How does this make sense? Or receiving a diagnosis from the doctors. How does this make sense? Or losing your job. How does this make sense? Or being in an insane amount of debt. How does this make sense? Or family turmoil and drama. How does it make sense? See, we ask the question because our human minds cannot grasp the work that God is doing in the middle of it. We ask that question because we can't see what God is doing when we're in the thick of it. it usually, it, we're able to see it when we get out of it. Hindsight does us well. But listen, in this chapter, the question has to be asked, how does this make sense? Jesus knew his friend Lazarus was ill. But he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. How does that make sense? And we'll get to that in a moment. But before we get any further, we have to look at the context of this passage. In verse 1 through 4, we, we meet the characters of this passage. We meet a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus, we don't know much about, but we do know this. Uh, he was ill. He was sick. He was so ill that he was about to die. But I love... I love how John gives us a little detail into it. Lazarus was a very common name. It was a very common biblical name. And so John distinguishes which Lazarus it was. Lazarus of Bethany. Like I said, we don't know much about Lazarus, but the, the things we do uh, is, is that he was ill, he had sisters, and his name means God is my help. His sisters, Mary and Martha, Mary was the one who poured oil on the Lord's feet. If you are familiar with the Gospel of John, you'll take note that what Mary does to Jesus doesn't happen until after John chapter 11. It happens in John chapter 12. And so John is filling us in with what is about to happen. Now, if that just confused you, I'm sorry. But let me explain. See, there's, there's this thing called the synoptic Gospels. Uh, it, it sounds a lot like uh, similar. Uh, we'll put it that way. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've got the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke are the synoptic Gospels. They go in chronological order. They, they are more of a linear approach, a straight shot of what Jesus did, his life, his miracles. But when you get to the Gospel of John, it's more like a spiral approach. He, he, he's all over the place. But 
in each of these gospel writings, we have to take note that they're from different angles. Matthew has a different angle. Mark has a different angle. Luke has a different angle. John has a different angle. They're all looking at what Jesus did and taught from different angles, and they're writing it differently. But ultimately, John's goal in writing this, even in his spiral approach, is for us to believe. Can everybody say believe? The theme verse of this gospel is John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these, the ones that he talks about, the ones that have been recorded, these ones are written so that you may, what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So pop quiz, what is John's goal for us as we read it? To what? Believe. And so, although it may seem like John is taking a spiral approach compared to the other authors, he, his point is, listen, I want you to believe based off of, off of what I have seen Jesus do and heard what Jesus taught. And so he introduces us to Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Martha was the one who Jesus told, you are worried and troubled over many things. How would you like to be remembered for that? You are worried and troubled over many things. Cliff, Cliff, you are worried and troubled over many things. Thankfully, I don't think Cliff will be remembered by his worry. But you can find that, that account in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. So we meet Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and then we're told that Lazarus is ill. And this was, an, uh, it was a huge concern for the sisters. They obviously loved their brother, and they knew only to turn to Jesus for a miraculous healing. Did you know they, did, they didn't go down the street to uh, the, the psychic? They didn't go down the street to, to their best friend's house. They went to Jesus. They sent a message to Jesus, and they said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Notice they did not ask Jesus to come and heal their brother. They only told Jesus the facts. They said, he whom you love, because Jesus loved him, is ill. And those were the facts. And ultimately, this message that the sisters were giving to Jesus was a prayer. It was them saying, Jesus, we need your help. And listen, your message in prayer can be specific to the Lord. I think so many times we become shy in thinking that God doesn't want to be burdened by my request. He's already got a lot going on. But here's a verse to disprove your thinking about that. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Pour out all your worries and stress upon Him. And it says, Leave them there. For He always tenderly cares for you. That verse doesn't say, for he sometimes cares for you. That verse doesn't say, he only cares for you on your good days. That verse doesn't say, he only cares for you when you've got all your ducks in a row. He says, for he always tenderly cares for you when you're doubting how he's going to come through. When you're wondering why he's doing this, listen, he always cares for you. So you can bring your worries and troubles to the Lord. You can bring them before Jesus, but do me a favor. Don't pick them up. Don't give it to Him and say, okay, now I want it back. Don't do that. 
Leave them in Jesus' care. And here's the thing. God already knows your specific needs anyways. Matthew 6, 8, it says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's right. So don't be shy in thinking that God is going to be burdened by what you're going through. Scripture tells us to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. It says, but when Jesus heard it, when he got the word that Lazarus was ill, he said this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. So word came back to Jesus. The sister sent this message to Jesus saying, listen, the one whom you love, our brother, is sick. Word came to Jesus, and Jesus sent word back. Loose paraphrase, he says, not on my watch. He says, this sickness is not going to lead to death. Verse 5 through 8, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, you're out of your mind. The Jews were just now trying to stone you. And you're going to go back there? (laughs) I love how John includes this, though. He says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. Let's set the record straight. Anything that God does in your life is for this reason. He loves you. I'm so thankful that John included this sentence because it reminds us, uh, even in the seasons where we ask, how does this make sense? We know that at least one thing is certain, and it is this, that God loves me. God loves you. That no matter what you face, you can be certain of this one truth, that his love for you is unconditional. And maybe there is somebody in here this morning that, that you need to hear that, that God loves you. That is, that is a truth that has never gone out of style, that will remain throughout generations, that God loves you. No matter how broken you are, God loves you. And because he loves you, he is going to do what is best for you. And you might ask the question, how can a loving God allow certain things to happen in my life? If He is loving, why does my loved one have cancer? Or why am I struggling in my marriage? Or why are my kids misbehaving? Or why are my relationships fading? If God loves me, why are all these things happening to me? Listen, what He is wanting to work in you is far more than you realize. What you're going through is not going to be wasted. There's a reason why you are going through what you're going through. You may not see it now, and you may have that looming question over you, how does this make sense? It doesn't to me right now, God, but I want some type of certainty. And his certainty is this, no matter what you go through, he is going to love you through it. When I look back on on my life, the things that I think God, he sent me through, listen, look back. While I was going through their transparent moment, some of the things that I've I've gone through in my life, I didn't want to go through. And I'm sure we've all been in that place where you just don't want to deal with your current circumstance. You would much rather avoid it altogether because it is hard. It is a trial. It feels like you're getting crushed inside. Am I the only one? No. No. (laughs) Scared me for a minute. I thought I was at a perfect church for just a second, but. (laughs) I remember a 
couple years into my, my walk with, with the Lord, my, my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. And nobody ever wants to receive that phone call. I didn't have the cancer. My mom did. But you know when you're close to somebody and it just feels like you have it? Whatever that it is? Your pain is as intense as the pain of what they're enduring, what they're going through. I remember the chemo treatments and the, 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 the hours that would be spent sitting on that comfy chair. There's nothing comfortable about chemotherapy. But I remember it. And I remember in the middle of it, there were so many questions of how, how does this make sense? But praise God, my mom is in remission. Right? That, that's, that's good news. But then shortly after that, my grandpa was diagnosed with stage, stage 4 bone cancer. And seeing him wither away, it hurt. And you ask the question, how does this make sense? My, my grandma dying, who, who I was very close to, not being able to be there when she died. Well, the most recent one for us, when Culver was about uh, ready to enter into the world, he didn't have enough water around him. He, he, he was ready to come, but if we wouldn't have gotten to the doctor in time, we wouldn't have had any idea that you got to go. you got to go to the hospital. But in all those things, the question came up, how does this make sense? In the middle of it, the question I seemingly asked over and over again was, God, if you love me, Why? Have you ever been there before? Why do you want me to go through this? Why do you want me to experience this? Because in the middle of it all, God was working in me something I could not attain if I hadn't gone through something. So listen, whatever you're going through this morning, whatever trial you're facing, whatever hardship you're facing, it's not going to be wasted. Amen? There's a reason and a purpose behind it. I realized something that in, in the midst of those, that season of my life, God was wanting to renew my faith and trust in Him. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 4.17 says. It says, For our present troubles. You have present troubles this morning? You don't have to share them, but I'm pretty sure every single one of us in this room and watching online have some type of present trouble. Maybe big, maybe small, but at the end of the day, listen to what Paul says. He says, for our present troubles are small, and listen to this, and won't last very long. Praise the Lord for that. They're not going to last long. And he doesn't stop there. He says, there's a reason for your present troubles. They produce for us a glory that vastly I love that word, that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Listen, do not let the giant in front of you become bigger than the God who is for you. Amen? God is for you in the midst of your hard times. And He was for Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And if He was for them, He is going to be for you. See, it's not going to last forever. The fruit will come. But listen, in the midst of the process of what you're going through, you have to trust the process. You have to know that the process is going to, it's going to 
give you that, that fruit. It's going to create something in you. Character, endurance, perseverance. Listen, the outcome for what you're going through, for your present trouble that is small, remember, and is not going to last very long, is, is better than you can dream of. The outcome is not bleak. Listen, God has something incredible in store. Listen to what Warren Wearsby said. He says, God's love for his own is not a pampering love. It is a perfecting love. The fact that he loves us and we love him is no guarantee that we'll be sheltered from the problems and pains of life. After all, the father loves his son, and yet the father permitted his beloved son to drink the cup of sorrow and experience the shame and pain of the cross. We must never think that love and suffering are incompatible. But as we get back into this text, you still have to ask the question, how does this make sense? Okay, Jesus, you know that this guy is ill. You know that you should probably go. I mean, if I were you, Jesus, which I'm not, I wouldn't do it your way. Let's face it. Some of the things we go through in life, we probably wouldn't do it that way, right? You'd probably coast through it, you know, get a lazy boy to be by your side 24-7, kick your feet up and just... <laughs> That's the way I would do it, right? Again, am I alone in this? No, thank you. Okay. I think we'll get two lazy boys back there, and we'll just, you know. Jesus was 20 miles away from Bethany. 20 miles away. And you know how many days he waited? Two days. How does this make sense? Jesus, you've done You've turned water into wine. You've, you've done all these miracles, and now you're going to prolong the process of bringing a dead guy to life? Come on. Like, if I'm the sisters, I'm, I'm continuing, like, continually sending messages like, he's going to die any day, he's going to die any day, he's going to die. Jesus, hurry up, come on. I would keep pushing it. He could have easily made that trip in a day. You do realize that. He could have easily made the trip to Bethany in a day, but he waits two days. See, the day he would have received the message, Lazarus would have been dead. If we look at this chronologically, that day when he received the message, Lazarus was no longer just ill, he was dead. I believe he prolonged the process because he had something else he was wanting to do in his disciples and Martha, and Mary, and Lazarus. Obviously, Lazarus, if you're familiar with John chapter 11, you know Jesus wanted to do something in Lazarus. <laughs> Verse 9 through 10, it says, Jesus answered them, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus was ultimately answering the disciples' questions of, Are you going to go back to there where they were just about to stone you, you're seriously going to do that? And Jesus comes back and he, he ultimately answers his disciples' question this way. He says, I'm on a fixed time. I am on the Father's schedule. God has appointed me a certain amount of time to do the work he has sent me to do. And then verse 11 through 15 it says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Great optimism, guys. 
Now Jesus had spoken of his, of his death, but they thought he meant he was just taking a nap. That's the Austin translation. Uh, then Jesus told them plainly, I love how blunt Jesus is at this point. Lazarus is dead, guys. Like, he's dead. <laughs> and for your sake, I'm glad. What? He says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us all go, that we may die with them. It's like a Braveheart scene right there. Like, let's go get them, Jesus. But it wasn't that at all. Jesus used this metaphor to sleep because Jesus was about to wake Lazarus up. He was about to bring the dead to life, as we'll see next year. <laughs> um, but there's another account in Matthew chapter 9 where Jairus' daughter is dead. And Jesus uses the same metaphor. He says, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Now, why would Jesus say they are asleep if, in fact, they were actually dead? I believe because he knew the outcome. He knew that that was not the end of that person's life. That he would raise these lifeless bodies from the dead. And can I tell you the good news today? Jesus still brings dead people to life. Amen? You once were dead. I'm not talking about physically, although I believe that if God willed it, he could do it. I'm talking about spiritually. Listen, you may be very much alive physically. You may be eating all the kale and drinking all the protein shakes and being on the Cheeto, I mean keto diet. Um, <laughs> but listen, if you don't know Jesus, you are spiritually dead. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you are dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, and it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, I call these the big butts of the Bible, but God, being rich in mercy, can I get an amen for that? Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Amen? By grace you have been saved and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, by the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, you can have life today. And it isn't just a, a temporary solution to your problems. It's an abundant life today. Jesus is saying, I have come to give them life and life abundantly. And Jesus says this off-the-wall thing, it seems like, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Whoa, wait a minute, Jesus, you're being kind of heartless. Like, I thought you loved everyone, so why, why, wouldn't, why, why would you say that? 
It seems like Jesus didn't care about Lazarus or his sisters, but again, Jesus was about to work into the disciples, Martha, Mary, even Lazarus, something far greater than what they could imagine. And oftentimes, God does the same thing with us. He uses these circumstances we're going through to shape us and mold us and to build character in us. And oftentimes, God uses things like death and sickness and darkness to bring us to a place of believing And as we'll see in the rest of this chapter, that Jesus is about to do something phenomenal. I would encourage you to go read the rest of John chapter 11 and see what Jesus does. And then John introduces us to one of the disciples called Thomas. It says, So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go that we may die with him. Thomas was called the twin. Now, church tradition says that Thomas was called the twin because he looked identical to Jesus, putting him at special risk. If any among the disciples of Jesus were potential targets of persecution, it would have been the one who looked like Jesus. Can you imagine getting the wrong guy? Like, Thomas is probably fearful because Jesus, at some point, is going to tell Thomas, I'm about to die. And in his mind, he's thinking, oh, great, I'm called the, I'm called the twin for a reason. They're going to accidentally get me, and I'm going to be up on that cross. And Thomas, I love his eagerness. Going back to his name for a moment, in those days, the Jews had two names. They had one Hebrew name by which a man was known in his own circle, his close-knit circle. And the other, a Greek name, by which he was known in a wider circle. So Thomas is his Hebrew name, and Didymus, it's a nice, strong name, the Greek for twin. But Thomas was eager. He was eager to go to Jesus, to go with Jesus to the extreme. And he was ultimately saying, Jesus, I'm willing to die with you. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's go die right now. However, Thomas said this without much thinking of what he was saying. And we're much like Thomas at times. So eager to do whatever God wants us to do, but when push comes to shove, we slowly begin to back out like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, Jesus, like, are you sure you know what you're doing? And I, I, I would wonder if he's asking us the same question. Do you know what you just said? Do you know what you're doing when you said you would follow me? The reason that happens is because we don't actually count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Listen, following Jesus doesn't mean you'll get to ride on unicorns and see rainbows and, you know, be in this la-la land and, you know... it doesn't mean that at all. Listen, don't follow Jesus if you're not going to commit to following him in all of his ways. Not just some of his ways, all of his ways. Jesus wants you to follow him, to understand, though, that following him means much more than our human minds can understand. Listen, following Jesus doesn't mean you get uh, a get-out-of-hell card. Following Jesus doesn't mean you get free fire insurance. Following Jesus means you acknowledge Him as Savior and Lord. It means you're willing to do whatever He wants of you. 
It means that you are no longer the master of your life. It means that you are giving him complete control of your life. I wish we had more time to go through the whole chapter, but man, I would encourage you to read it, to see what Jesus does, to understand his heart, and ultimately to believe, to believe that he is the Son of God. As the worship team comes back up, I want to leave you with this. It's such a simple truth, yet it's such a profound truth. God loves you. On your best days and on your worst days, when you are full of doubt, when you are sitting on the mountain of faith, God loves you. When you're wondering how you're going to get through this dark season or when you're fully trusting in Him to get you through this dark season, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. He loves you enough to send His one and only Son to die on the cross for your sins. If you were the only one that that needed it, he would have still done it. That's how much God loves you. So I just I sense this morning that somebody needs to hear that. Whether you're in-house or watching on the live stream, God loves you. It doesn't change his love for you is unconditional. It's a perfect love and it's a perfecting love. Let's all stand and close this out in prayer and sing this last chorus together. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the the love that you have for us. It's such a pure love, such a perfect love, such an unconditional love. God, there is nothing that we can do or can't do to make you love us any less or any more. God, you love us with a perfect, perfect love. Lord, I pray for for those in here this morning that might have that, that question, how does that make sense? How does this make sense? How does what I'm going through make sense? God, I pray that you would just tenderly remind them that what they're going through is not going to be wasted. You're going to use it. And you're going to use it to produce fruit in their lives, lasting fruit that outweighs the present troubles that they're going through. With every head bowed and, and eyes closed, maybe you're going through something today. Maybe you've just got this this heavy circumstance in your life and you're wondering how to get through it. Maybe you found yourself falling into depression or fear or anxiety and you just need some strength. Maybe you're at this weak place and I know it's not easy for us to admit that we're weak but, but we need to so we can rely on his strength. So if that's, if that's you this morning, 
I just want you to, to raise your hand. And I'd love to pray over you. If you find yourself in a weak place, uncertain of how this is going to make sense in the end, I'd love to pray over you. Lord, I pray for these raising their hands, Lord. You know exactly what they're going through. You see where they're weak. You know what they're facing. God, I pray that you would strengthen their faith as they walk through the season of life that they're going through. God, you are bigger than the giants that we face. And I pray that you would remind them of that. God, and you would remind them of your sweet love for them. And God, for the rest of us, Lord, we're weak too, and we need you. So Lord, we pray that you would just be glorified in our lives in all that we're going through. Commit our lives to you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Don't forget, we're having a short little baptism uh, class after service, uh, and uh, we're going to close out with a, a worship song. But if you need prayer, if you need somebody to talk to, there will be a few of us in the back. Um, but let's close out with a chorus. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. that you are, Lord. Only in you, Jesus, and everything that you've done is where we find the peace that surpasses understanding. So, Lord, I pray that all of these hearts, I lift them all up to you here and outside of the church, Father, anybody going through struggles, that they can look at you for that peace. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. Thank you.